Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our guest today is a survivor of domestic violence, and her story may be upsetting for some listeners. If this episode raises any issues for you, please call 1-800-RESPECT. I thought, no way have I left all my family and friends and my life behind to now feel afraid the other side of the world. It ends now. Nothing gives me more joy than to give back and protect the people of Australia the way that the Australian people have protected me from the moment I got here. What's your new life like in Australia? Fantastic. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Pleasure today to welcome to Short Black Stacey Jane, founder and CEO of Escabags Limited. Stacey, what's Escabags? Thank you for having me, by the way. Pleasure. Escabags provides free escape bags for families and individuals escaping domestic and family abuse. They're available from over 900 stockists throughout the country. And our motto is you don't have to be a particular type of business to be a stockist, just a kind one. And the beauty of it is it doesn't cost an organisation a penny to receive them and they're also free to collect from the people that need them. So the tragic story of Hannah Clark and her three children incinerated by her ex-partner in Brisbane floored the nation. Domestic violence is a scourge in this country. What made you decide to start Escobags? So back home in England, which is where I'm originally from, I was in an abusive relationship myself for just over three years and unfortunately you know it was abusive in every way and there were a lot of similarities between Hannah and I we were the same age and uh, the types of abuse that we'd endured physically emotionally financially sexually because there was software on my mobile phone and a tracking device on my car I couldn't go and seek assistance from the agencies that you usually would think you could do police stations etc I really couldn't get away from this person and I was trapped, which is what we hear a lot of people say, especially when it's coercive control. And it wasn't until I was on board a cruise with him around New Zealand in March 2019 that he physically attacked me for the final time. But I'd made friends with a wonderful Australian family on board and security made them aware of what had happened. And this was the last night of the cruise. And to be honest, you know, we'd already said our goodbyes. They could have got off the boat and said, you know, we wish her all the best, but it's not actually any of our business and we hope she's okay. But they didn't. And in true Aussie fashion, they knocked on my door with security with a plate of breakfast and a cup of tea and said, this is the start of your new life and you're coming home with us. And I did. I've got goosebumps. That heartwarming reach out from somebody who sees someone else in trouble and wants to make a difference. Absolutely. I can't imagine the state of mind you must have been in. Had you given them any inkling that things weren't great? They actually said they always knew something wasn't quite right. 
but they couldn't put their finger on it. He would, you know, wait outside the toilets and things like that and say, you know, where is she and be pacing up and down. So they knew something, but, you know, they just took me under their wing. They were all in their 60s, 70s, 50% of the family were male. And they were just as horrified by what had happened as the women were, which, you know, I think that makes it even more beautiful because it's always pointing the finger that the males are the problem in all this. But, um, yeah, they were just as supportive. You know, domestic violence horrifies us all and it's still shrouded in mystery and questions about why women don't leave when they're in the throes of it. You said this went on for three years. How bad was it? Horrendous. You know, being with him was terrifying, but the thought of actually leaving was even more horrific. And the only way I can describe it is that you feel like there's this electric fence on the front door that's you stopping you crossing that, that door frame and, and running to safety. And the amount of times I would pack a bag. And obviously, you know, when I did leave Australia after the week that the family had rescued me, I went into a women's shelter. And I was there for five months and, you know, that wasn't the safe haven that I'd expected. And you do start thinking, better the devil, you know, you know, because you know that you're being monitored still, you're being followed home. So you didn't know about the tracking devices on your phone? You had no idea? No. You never fully comprehended the extent of his surveillance? The phone was a gift for Christmas. Start of the relationship, you don't think, oh, why has this phone not got the film over the box as they usually do? And I didn't think anything of it. And actually with my car, I went to take it in for a service because I'd blown one of my wheels out. And it was actually the guy replacing the tyres that found this magnetic thing on, on, my, on my car. And I actually had a look at his reviews on eBay and I could see where he'd purchased these items. And people think, oh, it sounds like you're in a James Bond film, you know, when you talk about things like this. But they're actually very cheap to purchase online it's not difficult for people to to monitor someone these days which makes it you know all the more frightening it got to a point I remember saying to my grandmother I'm just not sure about this relationship something feels off he always seemed to be a few more steps ahead of me and my plans and then it was brought to my attention when the um the conversation I'd had with my grandmother was sent to me in an audio file on the way home so not only was he listening, he wanted me to know that he was. And that was really the point where I just completely closed down then and stopped moving and, and stopped talking. Something must have attracted you to him at the beginning. Mm -hmm. When do you think your instincts started to flare? Was it the first act of violence or was it just a subtle subversive control that started to take over? He was actually my boss. And after three months of me working in the company, I asked to have a meeting with him. And I said, this job isn't challenging enough for me. And um, after Christmas, I'll be looking for another position elsewhere. And he asked me the question, what's the deal with your dad? And I thought, that's such a strange question to ask. And I obviously mentioned it in conversation at some point that I didn't see my dad. And I said, you know, if he wanted to be found, I would be able to find him, but I can't. Three days later, I was called into his office. And he told me to take a seat and he was on the phone to my dad. And this is a man that I hadn't had any contact with for 14, 15 years. And he held that. He, I never, ever found out what was said in that conversation. I could hear that it was my dad. So it was almost like he saw the injured child in me very early on. And that was his way in because I was looking at him thinking, what an absolute hero. He's found my dad. I've been trying to track him down for all these years. So he got the emotional chink straight away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then it was, you know, 
I'm running a charity alongside my business to help with children that come from broken homes and I think you'd be great at that job. So there was that position made for me. And then I found out much later on that he had a previous wife with two older children and uh, they were relocated through Women's Aid in England. So he'd made that charity almost to save face. I'm the good guy in the community. And so often in the early stages of a relationship, you know, you're so buoyed by being in love and thinking you've found the right one. But three years down the track, there are obviously a sequence of events that were pretty alarming. Mm -hmm. Did you not have friends and family that you could reach out to? What stopped you other than that invisible fence? I think you get to a point where the worse they treat you, the more you feel that it's them that you need to make you feel better. So they become both your poison and your remedy. And no one truly understands what's actually going on in your brain. And I think, you know, the longer time's gone on and now that I work in the industry that I do, I've realised that that's, you know, the psychological, the trauma bond that we know as now that gets thrown around here and there. And it's just so important that we bring light onto those trauma bonds because you don't understand it yourself when you're in that situation and you just cannot, you can't explain it to people that haven't lived it. It's so authentic, the relationship you have with Escobags and your own experience, and that's what drives your passion is to make a difference for those escaping domestic violence. But I want to walk you back to that time in the shelter, those first few months. What made you choose a shelter and not family or friends? You don't want to bring your family into it, you know, and I've, I've got a, a younger brother at home who's autistic. And I remember one of the first times I actually ran to my mom's home address and it was my little brother that was the first person to look out the window and I was very severely bruised from my, my neck and on my face and I just couldn't ever bear to allow him to see that again. I wanted to protect him. So you do kind of just go into your own little cave and, and mindset because you start thinking it must be something wrong with me. Do you remember those early days in the shelter? Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, it wasn't the safe haven that you expect it to be. There was a lot of people there that were in a very dark place. So there was a lot of drug and alcohol abuse going on and even prostitution. And that isn't their fault. They're being subjected to an environment that you can't grow in and they don't belong there. But it's almost like I think there are people that are in that situation that just think, well, society and the system has turned their back on me. So I'll just do what I need to do to survive and to get through those moments. But it was, you know, my Aussie mom, Mozzie, as I like to call her, that kept me in check. And every morning I'd have that call. I mean, it was six o'clock in the morning for me. It was 7 p.m. and a glass of wine later for her. <laughs> but she'd always just check in and see how it was. And that just really made me think, I am cared for and I am worthy. And these strangers have seen that in me five months ago. And that gave me a reason to go on. What a lifeline. I know. Beautiful mozzie. So when you were in the shelter, what sorts of things did you do for yourself and how do you get out of that? Because you spent five months there. That's a long time. We weren't short of activities that were offered to us. But I think everyone's in such a, a low ebb. They've lost all their confidence. They, they don't, I didn't want to make friends with people. I just wanted to stay in my room and not really, you know, have those discussions. But there was one class that I thought I oh, quite fancy and it was a make and mend class to learn the basics of a sewing machine. And I must have spent about five hours making a basic tote bag. Obviously now I look at where that's, that, that's come to. But, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. 
but I just remember that gave me a real sense of just a sense of pride. I'd taken nothing and turned it into something and um, it just really calmed my mind down. And that's something that I then later went on to, to do the same. You know, when the world's a cacophony of noise and intrusion and it can be confronting, finding something that you can immerse yourself in that helps your mind switch off is so critically important. And for you, it was sewing. It was. But I can only do tote bags, so don't send me your trousers and your <laughs> hems to turn up. <laughs> so when you're in the shelter, what are the sorts of things you really needed? I mean, people assume it's basic supplies. I remember my first evening there, actually, and getting out the shower and realising I didn't have my own towel. And I just stood there, you know, very cold, very naked, very vulnerable. I thought it's just something so daft that we all take for granted. And I just... I cried in that bathroom until I eventually dried off. And it's those experiences where you think, well, you know, you just don't realise until you've not got things like that. So beautiful Morsey reaches out and you process the time in the shelter and then you decide to emigrate to Australia. What made you decide to leave the UK? Because it's not easy leaving your family and your home. No, no, of course not. And, um, you know, everything that you know, you've, you've been in that country, you know, all your life and you actually taken a chance on complete strangers, which they were. They were, you know, holiday friends, like holiday romances. They <laughs> dwindle off a little bit. But um, I think I just, I knew I had to. I was never, ever going to be able to get a new job, move house and feel completely safe from this person. And one thing, you know, that I didn't do that many people don't do I didn't report it to the police do you regret that now no why's that because he always used to say to me I may do some time in prison but you will forever be looking over your shoulder and that was enough for me if I lived in England on my own and had no family then maybe I would have but I wasn't going to let my my family suffer from him do you think he knows where you are now I know he does unfortunately and what's that like to live with it's quite brave during the lockdown restrictions, especially where Escobags was concerned. I mean, I don't use my real name over here, but, you know, when the borders opened, there's definitely a difference in me, which is very hard because the protection visa that I'm on, one of the conditions is that I can't go back to the UK for five years to see my family, but he can come here any time. Have you registered his name with local authorities? And so there's some sort of check on immigration when he comes here that you'll be notified? Yes, I think because a lot of the abuse happened in England, it's a struggle for what they can and can't do, you know, in, in the law system. They can't stop him from coming here. If he comes here and he's looking for me, then there's processes that can be put in place. But until that happens... Is there any merit then in, in reporting him now to UK authorities so that you have more protection? Yeah, as soon as I found out that he was paying someone to follow me in this country about 18 months ago, that was the first time that I actually went to the police. And, um, you know, I took all my statements that I needed for my protection visa. I took the photographic evidence and I thought, no way have I left all my family and friends and my life behind to now feel afraid the other side of the world. It ends now. Oh, gosh, you poor thing. You know, I didn't realise you were going under a pseudonym. And yet you're brave enough to promote something you believe in to help other women who were in the same circumstances. That's a pretty risky move because every time you promote this, your photograph goes up. Absolutely. But um, I'm not going to allow him to make that the end of my story. There's a reason that I've gone through this. And I think in my 
darkest moments in the women's shelter, I always believed in some kind of greater power. I'm not saying I'm the most religious person, but I thought there's a reason I'm going through this. And I think I've got that strength and the resilience to now help other people. And nothing gives me more joy than to give back and protect the people of Australia the way that the Australian people have protected me from the moment I got here. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What's your new life like in Australia? Fantastic. Yeah. Have you met someone wonderful? I have. I have. Mm -hmm. I see a ring on that finger. (laughs) So you seem very happy. Yeah, absolutely. And um, my partner actually took me back to the tree. There's a big tree where the cruise liners come in. And that same tree was where Mozzie and her family hid me while we waited for the minibus. And my partner actually took me there and reminded me that that's where my life started in Australia. And he got down on one knee just a couple of months ago and proposed. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. You know, look, you're a beautiful looking girl, but clearly inside and out. And what you've managed to achieve with Escobags, you're now a registered charity. Yes. Tell us about how you find Escobags if you need them and and what's the process. The escape bags can be collected from over 900 stockists. I think it's important to mention that we're not just a charity that supports women. We support all victims of domestic and family abuse. So if you visit the website, which is escabags.org, E-S-C-A-B-A-G-S, You can type in your suburb or your postcode and it will actually bring up all your nearest stockists within your area. As I say, these are stockists that are banks, doctor surgeries, hospitals, police stations, physiotherapists, schools. Everyone's just come on board. And you'll also see if you walk in within your community, anyone that is a stockist will have our poster on their front door in their window. So in June last year, you were adding 10 new stockists a month. How many now? 120. Wow. So what's the support been like? I mean, how do you go out there and garner support? Generally, do doors open when you knock? Absolutely. I mean, Sandra, I don't <laughs> I don't pretend to have a business degree, nor do I possess one. And I've always said to anyone in a similar situation that is passionate about something that they want to make it into an official charity, that your empathy and passion will get you through it. And that support that you need will gravitate towards you. And I've got a fantastic board. Obviously, they're all volunteers, whether they're financial background, legal, and they, you know, keep me my head above water and any issues that I have, I can call on them. But I really do love what I do. So it's a full-time job now managing the business. How many people sew for you? Um, oh, I wouldn't be able to tell you because we have, you know, the Rotary Club ladies, we have TAFE students. Even women in other organisations that have been affected by domestic abuse. 
you know, so they just come in in little jiffy bags and they always have lovely little notes in, which in my office I've got three big A1 frames. This one lady had wrote, I was very young when my sis, older sister was a victim of domestic abuse and I didn't know what to do to help because I was too young. And now by making these bags, I feel like I'm doing something to support the cause. And you've got the people that have just said, thank you so much for keeping me sane during lockdown. I can't financially contribute, but by cutting up my old doona cover, <laughs> getting used to all these words now. But no, I will always, always make sure that each one has been handmade. It just adds that extra, that extra touch. What do you find in an escape bag? What are the essentials? Essential toiletries that you'd need for the first 24 to 72 hours. We know that we're not going to stop domestic abuse. For as long as there's humans on this planet, there'll always be conflict and violence. But what we do know is that the time of escape for a victim is the most lethal. So our bags are in place so that someone doesn't have to go back to the family home to get those nappies, that teddy bear, that baby blanket, female hygiene products, anything like that. We've got two variations, parent and child and single adult. There's a prepaid SIM card in there as well. All these essential items, but a lot of luxury items as well, because we understand how important it is to feel worthy in a crisis. I don't put anything in those bags that I wouldn't put on my own skin. You know, it'd be quite easy to buy 5,000 soaps for $50 off eBay, but to know that those bags have been handmade by volunteers throughout the country, and then you've got the companies that donate the products, and then the stockists as well. It's a huge, huge community effort from everybody involved. What would you say to corporate Australians who are listening today if they want to get in touch with you? Please do get in touch because... You always need more? Absolutely. And not only have we got the new stockists, all the, the stockists that we had pre-COVID are now coming back saying, we need more, we've run out, because people are getting to know that our service is out there. And it's such a double-edged sword because as the stockist numbers rise, you think it's so hard to know that we've sent out nearly 5,000 escape bags in two years. But at the same time, it was a service that didn't exist before. So we have to see it as 5,000 lives that we've possibly changed or saved. What did the pandemic do to the business? Did you see demand change at all? Absolutely. And, you know, I had to really relook at our business model because there was no point of our escape bags being in places that businesses were closed because of the lockdown restrictions. So, um, yeah, I had my partner and my stepson we were all licking envelopes, writing to all the MPs and the hospitals. And we just needed to make sure that they were in places where people could collect them. I don't think there was a rise in perpetrators during lockdown. I think people that were abusive during lockdown will have been abusive prior to and will continue to be abusive. But obviously when people are put in that situation where you can't drop the children off at school or you're not going to work and speaking to your colleagues and having that break, of course we're going to see a rise in those incidents. Now you put all sorts of extra protections in place for those that need to escape. On our website, we have a quick exit button on every single page that you go through, which I think a lot of domestic violence organisations do have as well. There's no point people just being aware of where they can collect an escape bag from because not everyone does have access to the internet, you know, and there's obviously an older age group that aren't as tech savvy. So it's really important that the organisations that do become stockists really take it upon themselves to, for that word of mouth put those posters up, make it a, you know, a known brand that people recognise our logo, that first step to freedom. 
not only can you collect an escape bag, but you're also in a safe environment because the people that are running that business have took it upon themselves to make sure that they're available for their community. That's quite a responsibility they take on, isn't it? Because when someone comes to collect that bag, that telegraphs, they're in trouble. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, a lot of businesses have said, okay, we won't call them escape bags, but we've put something in place to say, if someone comes to the counter and asks for my friend Jennifer's bag, she left it here last Saturday, you know, like a code word. And we're open to that. However, an organisation wishes to, to advertise it, they're more than welcome to. And, you know, you find that especially there was a lady that owned a coffee shop and she said, if someone does come and ask for an escape bag, can I offer them a hot drink and, you know, a croissant or something? You just think these are people that have really struggled during the pandemic and they still want to give that little bit extra to someone in need. Yeah, it's so heartwarming. It really is. And just this year, you won the New South Wales Women of the Year Awards for the Community Hero. Congratulations. What was that like? Thank you. Unbelievable. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I've um, completely taken it in as yet, especially being an organisation very much in its infancy. I was surrounded by such incredible women on the day. It just, yeah, it blew me away. (laughs) For anyone who's listening today who feels like they could be you, what would you say to them? Just don't give up. Don't give up. It's so easy to. And for anybody that suspects a friend or a family member that's going through it, make that call. People get concerned about calling the police, whether it's a neighbour that they hear that something isn't quite right, but make that call because the amount of times that I was in that situation, I used to think, please, will someone hear me this time? Because this, I might not get back up after this, this one, this time. So just speak up because I know that the police are well equipped to make those house calls. They know what to say, you know, and um, yeah, just be mindful of what's going on around you. Going back to the experience and your trauma, how bad was it? I've got quite a bad injury to my neck and I have very bad nerve damage and I have to take medication for. But to be honest, it was the complex post-traumatic stress disorder that's caused me the most discomfort. It's something that I still live with. It's getting much better with the right support. I still see a psychologist every week. And I think many people that have been in abusive relationships will say that it's the psychological trauma that does the most damage. There's times when I think, just hit me, just get it over and done with, because I knew then for a couple of days it would be okay. That's that trauma cycle. But, you know, the the panic attacks, the night terrors, and that was when I first moved here and Mozzie said, enough's enough, let's take you to the doctor's. So the reason the sewing came back was because I had this diagnosis and I thought, what can I now do to help alleviate some of these symptoms of the PTSD? And that's when I started making the bags. So um, yeah, absolutely. The mental scars of my abuse have been the longer lasting ones. It's such a beautiful thing that you do, Stacey. But each time you have to relive the trauma as you promote Esca bags, that can't be easy. No, It would be very difficult for me to be focusing only on people still stuck in that situation, still trapped in those toxic relationships. The fact that we're now providing that practical service, I hope what that's proved is that not only will you love again and be loved, you'll learn to love yourself again and caged birds can indeed fly again. 
And do you still make the bags yourself? Oh, I'd love to. I always say to my partner, I see my sewing machine there in the office and I think I just wish I had time just to make a couple. I just don't. It's, you know, Escobags has probably grown a lot faster than I've been able to keep up with. There's other priorities now in the business, but who knows? Maybe I'll raffle one off one day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, best of luck with your endeavours. You're just doing such wonderful things and we just hope your journey here in Australia continues to be a safe and loving one. Sincere thanks for what you do for others. You're a champion here and we're thrilled that you could spend some time with us at Short Black. Thanks so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.